Hello, curiosity seekers. Welcome to Dissecting Medical History. I'm Ange. I'm a travel nurse, medical history enthusiast, and your host. If you're looking for a storytelling formatted podcast with fun and fascinating topics on history and bios, then you are in the right spot. Please note this is not in any way medical advice. If you have anything that's ever discussed in any of the podcast episodes, please seek medical attention. Now, let's get this story started. Hello there, this is Ange again. I am by myself again today, but I wanted to tell you a little story. I got this idea because I have a family member who is a conspiracy theory junkie and has mentioned several times to me about not buying the snake oil. And it got me to thinking, where did that saying really come from? So I started doing a little research and found out. Of course, it was before my time, but I know pretty much what the saying means. I just didn't know the origin. So hopefully you don't know the origin and I can share that with you. Or maybe you do and now you'll know a little more. So today's topic is going to be uh, about Clark Stanley. Clark Stanley was born in Abilene, Texas. Yeehaw! In 1854. He was a cowboy that started out working with the family in cattle farming, cattle running. And the family worked with the Moki Indians, also known as the Hopi Indians, from Arizona. Now, according to Stanley, he wrote an autobiography. Don't know how much of this is true, but he wrote that he had lived with the Indians for a couple of years. And from there, he learned how to make medicine with the secret ingredient of snake oil. Now, once he learned the secret, he went back home and he started making it and using it on all his friends. And I guess it was such a big hit that he ended up selling it in a traveling caravan. I tried to find out more sources on the Moki Indians about their snake oil, but I couldn't find anything. The only thing I could find was their famous snake dance. So it doesn't mean it's not true. It just doesn't mean I could find any resources. But if it wasn't true, then where did he get the idea? At that time, uh, between the years of 1849 and 1882, there was 180,000 immigrants that were coming from China specifically to work with the Transcontinental Railroad. They would sign a five-year contract and they would bring many of their own medications that they would use from back home, home remedies or, or whatnot. And one of those happened to be Chinese snake oil ligament. Now, this was made from, of course, snakes from China, thus the name Chinese snake oil. And they claimed that it reduced inflammation, treat arthritis and bursitis and they did use it often because working the railroad was a lot of work however when that started running out they started to make their own and the American rattlesnake was the the go-to snake the problem was that the rattlesnake um, has three times less omega-3 fatty acids which was the secret ingredient to its powers 
And the reason that that is known is because a man named Richard Kunin studied uh, the differences in the 90s. He was a psychiatrist that, that studied um, the snakes in Asian countries and compared it with the rattlesnake. So Clark Stanley was not the first to make and start selling snake oil, but he was a very good showman. And he had this frontierman's outfit, and he had this traveling caravan, and he was selling that oil, and he touted that it was the strongest and the best, and it gave him immediate relief. It was good for men and beasts. I mean, he really put on a show. His flyers claimed that it could uh, be good for rheumatism, sciatica, toothache, hair tonic, sprains, frostbites, bruises, a lame back, sore throat, insect bites. He sold it for about 50 cents a bottle, which is about $14 in today's money. And he sold a lot of it. This guy got really rich, ended up with a office somewhere in the East. Many Americans live in, at that time, lived in towns far from medical care. And the promise of a cure was very powerful. And sometimes when when you hear these people spouting all these cures, it becomes um, a sign of hope. It maybe, maybe, maybe this is the ticket. The process of using animal products in medicine is called zootherapy. Clark probably really did start out making his product with real rattlesnakes. He told people he had a rattlesnake farm back in Texas. The process Clark demonstrated uh, was slicing the rattlesnake open and then putting in it in boiling water. Then he would skim the fat from the surface um, and then bottle it. And it probably seemed very intriguing and kind of a fun way to show this is exactly what he did at the 1893 Columbian Expo in Chicago. That was the expo that celebrated the 400th anniversary of Columbus, by the way. The liniment just might have been slightly effective for some of his claims. I doubt it. But because it was rattlesnake and not the Chinese snake, it would be less less effective. Um, however, at some point, he stopped putting rattlesnakes in his product. It was thought perhaps maybe he had too much demand to keep up with the snakes on his snake farm. Or maybe he just started doing it because he knew it wasn't effective, so he was just starting to save money. His liniment was being sold all over the country in stores, and so the demand probably was very high. His flyers would say, if the store doesn't have it, make sure you tell your grocer to, to, to ask for it. If there wasn't rattlesnake in his oil, what was in his oil? Well, the feds wanted an answer to that too. The Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906 came about because of people like this. There was a point in history where there were so, so, so many quackery peddlers not only can these products fool the public into wasting money on false cures, it was kind of dangerous. So in 1917, the feds got around to analyzing Clark's oil. That was about 10 years after he demonstrated his 
his stuff at the expo. And Clark was making quite a lot of money at this point. So when they analyzed his oil and found out that it was false, he could afford the fine that they gave him. It was a whopping 20 bucks, which is not even like $300 today. The analyst showed that the oil contained mineral oil, beef fat, red pepper, and turpentine. Turpentine actually does have an antiseptic property. The Romans used it for depression. Some naval surgeons used it warm on wounds. A doctor in 1821 said it could be used to kill internal worms. It's still listed as an inactive ingredient in Vicks Vapor Rub. It smells and tastes really bad and can be toxic when ingested. It can cause kidney damage and bleeding in the lungs. The red peppers have a lot of vitamins. Uh, they haven't really been found to be so beneficial as a topical use, though. Uh, and, of course, mineral oil, that's good for dry skin. Uh, beef fat, well, that could be a skin softener, I guess. Um, but maybe he was using beef fat because it was cheaper than rattlesnake. And he did have ties to the cattle farm. So perhaps he thought swapping it out was pretty much an even trade and didn't realize that the key was omega-3 from the snake. So that's my theory. So even though the feds did not shut him down, they just charged him. He was charged with mis branding falsely and fraudulently representing a remedy but that was pretty much it he wasn't shut down nothing was changed he published his autobiography in 1897 just a few years after the expo it was called the life and adventures of the american cowboy life in the far west the book <laughs> was rather boring i don't recommend it uh, I guess he was better at salesmanship than writing. The dictionary defines snake oil as any of various liquid concoctions of questionable medical value sold as an all-purpose curative, especially by traveling hucksters. Also, deceptive talk or actions, hooey or bunkum. It has been a phrase... That's a go-to for politicians and lobbyists for both parties over the years. After the feds had found Stanley's oil to be fraudulent, it did get around to the public and it did finally kind of fade off and thus we were left with, don't buy the snake oil. It's all a bunch of hooey. Since we're on the subject of snakes, do you know why the snake is the symbol for the medical profession. The snake was associated with an ancient Greek god of medicine, Euskipius, who possessed benevolent properties. It was believed it could cure someone just by touching them. He had a staff with a snake wrapped around a stick. That's where we get that symbol. Um, it's also connected to the underworld because it can bring death. The shedding of the skin is symbolic for the circle of life. It possesses anti-venom against its own venom, in case you were wondering why it doesn't come prey to its own venom. And it's used as medicine or poison that goes way back. 
healthcare runs in the family. He had one daughter named Hygienia, Hygiene, goddess of cleanliness, a daughter named Lasso, goddess of recuperation from illness, Asesso, goddess of the healing process, Algae, goddess of good health, and then Panacea, goddess of universal remedy. So the last couple of episodes, I talked about poison. This week, let's talk about venom. Venom, unlike poisons, which are toxins that are ingested, inhaled, or absorbed, are toxins injected into the body, such as a bee sting or snake fangs. There are about 150,000 animals that use venom to inject its prey. And one animal that I didn't realize that had venom is the male duck billed platypus. It has venom bearing spurs on the back of its legs. Little side note. Snakes kill around 100,000 people a year worldwide. The venom is produced in the salivary glands in the back of the head. And then when the snake bites, the muscles in that snake's head squeeze the venom glands, which push the liquid through the hollow fangs and into the victim. If it doesn't cause death to a human, then it may just cause amputation. When I was working in an ED at a children's hospital a long time ago, there was a boy who got bit by a snake in the arm and he was going through what was called compartment syndrome because his arm was getting so swollen that it cuts off circulation to the lower part of that arm. They were waiting for the antivenom, the antidote, because to reverse the effects. So they were really scared that they were going to lose the hand. So they were having to cut to relieve pressure on the arm while they were waiting. It happened very quickly, but it was really crazy to, uh, to witness that. Um, anti-venom is not always available, especially in rural areas, and it can be extremely expensive. A vial can cost thousands to tens of thousands of dollars, and it usually takes more than one vial. There are three types of toxins with venom. There's the neurotoxins that prevents neurons in the brain from transmitting signals, so it causes paralysis. Then there's the hematoxins, which harm the circulatory system, the blood system, causing red blood cells to burst or causes clotting or lowers blood pressure. Then there's the myotoxins that causes tissue death in muscles and prevents muscle contraction. But snakes aren't all bad. There's approximately 20 medications that originate from animal venom. Most of the meds that originate from snakes target the cardiovascular system. Because snake bites can severely lower blood pressure to the point of passing out, it is used in a medicine that's called Compatopril, which works by preventing blood vessels from narrowing, meaning it lowers the pressure of the blood flow, kind of like a hose. The more open it is, the more water will come out. But if you kink it, then the water pressure gets much higher. The southeastern pygmy rattlesnake has venom that stops the blood from clotting and causes profuse bleeding. This is useful for a med that's given to those with a very high risk of heart attack or stroke. 
it stops the platelets in the blood from sticking together, which causes the clotting. And in France, they are working on a painkiller using the black mamba that's supposed to be even stronger than uh, morphine. So snakes aren't all that bad. And that is all I have for you today. I appreciate you listening with me, and I'll be back next week. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's mental vacation from your current life. If you did and are curious for more, please subscribe. Before you go, if you have anything to add to today's show or you have a topic that you think is worthy of dissection, please reach out on dissectingmedicalhistory.com or Instagram on dissectingmedicalhistory. Thank you and stay curious.